0: So kids make their way out. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. Acts is in the New Testament. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just before Romans. We are uh, just began uh, three weeks ago a journey through the book of Acts, and so we're going to be uh, walking through the book of Acts uh, probably up until the spring at least uh, of next year. We'll take a break at Christmas time. Uh, This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Verses 42 to 47. So I'm going to give you another moment to turn there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, the words should be up here on the screen behind me when we begin to read. Uh, I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's help. Uh, And then we'll go ahead and we'll dive in, all right? Here's what the Word of the Lord says. It says, And they devoted themselves They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. God, I pray this morning that your word would shape us as followers of Christ. I pray that our lives would be held up to the light of Your Word, Lord, and that You would um, convict us of sin, that You would comfort us in our affliction, that You would give us wisdom and instruction when we when we don't know the way to turn and what to do. Lord, I pray that You would make us more like Christ. I pray over our church, Lord, as we look at um, some of the health, the habits of a healthy church here in Acts chapter two. Oh God, we long for our church to look much like this early gathering in Jerusalem or to be a people who love your word, who love to pray, who love one another, who love to gather with each other. But God, ultimately, that can only come as a work of your spirit in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts? Would you use the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel to, to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ and to save those here who may not know you Lord, we long to see the day when day by day people are turning to the Lord here in San Antonio. We long to see the apathy that seems to have settled on our society to be lifted, God, and for people to be awakened to their great spiritual need, to their great need for the gospel. I long for your people to be awakened to just how much you love us, just how glorious the good news of the gospel is. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word this morning. Work through a, a weak, imperfect, fallible man like me, Lord. I'm just a jar of clay, but God, I hold in my hands a precious treasure, the word of God. Would your word work in our hearts and in our lives this morning? Would you, God, attend to our prayers, to the prayers that have been prayed all week leading up to this service? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We, uh, we live in a time and a place where we enjoy access to almost limitless resources to help us grow in our faith, don't we? We've got, I don't know how many Bibles you've got in your house, but I've probably got eight or nine different Bibles. The church in America has more money than we've ever had. We've got a lot of money. We have really big buildings. We have... Countless numbers of seminaries you could choose to go to and get a a, a tremendous theological education. Heck, you can even do it online from the comfort of your home. But despite all of these resources, the church in America is declining. While in other harder places, places like Iran or India, the church is rapidly expanding. Why is that? Why is it that we have more resources than we've ever had? And yet, the church seems to be losing its influence and losing its effectiveness and slowly on the decline, while in other places that don't have these resources, it's growing. Perhaps it's because all of those things are not what actually moves the needle. Maybe God's kingdom doesn't work like that. So, how does the church thrive? How will this church thrive? To answer that question, we're going to look at the establishment of the very first local church in Jerusalem that we just read about in Acts chapter 2. And This passage gives us a great picture of what a healthy church looks like. I want to show you five habits of a healthy church that we see here in this first church. But before we look at what this first church did, first I want to consider who were these people? It says that they devoted themselves. Well, who are they? Who makes up the church? Well, the church is made up of those who have repented of their sin, believed the gospel, and been baptized. Right after Peter preached the very first gospel message that Keith walked us through last week, verses 37 to 41 describes the response of those who ultimately made up this first local church. Let's look at that again. I think it'd be helpful to go back and look. It says that when they had heard this, when they heard what Peter said, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in response to Peter preaching the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin. They realized that it was their sin that had put Jesus on that cross. So they responded, what should we do? Like, What do we do to be saved? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So repentance means to to turn away from sin and rebellion against God and to turn towards Jesus and to surrender and submit to Him as your King. And being baptized in Jesus' name means you are choosing to place your faith in Him and to follow Him. You are receiving all that He is and everything that He taught. It's to believe that He died on the cross for your sin, that He rose from the dead, that He's the risen King, and that it's through faith alone in him that we can be saved. And so, baptism is what identifies or sets apart someone as a follower of Jesus, as someone who believes those things. Baptism does not save you, but it's an outward reflection that you have trusted in Jesus. And verse 41 says that those who received his word were baptized. So, they obeyed, they believed what Peter said, and they responded in obedience. And then it goes on to say, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church. And it was their baptism that marked them as belonging to God's people, the church. So a local church is made up of those who have repented of their sin, believed the gospel, and been baptized. So I have two questions for you before we move on. First of all, Have you repented and believed the gospel? Have you repented and believed the gospel? Attending worship every Sunday does not make you a Christian or make you part of the church. Giving money to the church doesn't make you part of the church. You become a Christian when you repent and believe the gospel and are born again. Have you you done this? Has that happened to you? If not, then right now you are still separated from God. And right now God's wrath hangs over you, the Bible says. And if you die in your sin, you will remain separated from God forever in a place called hell. That's why Peter cries out with urgency there in verse 40. He says, save yourselves from this crooked generation upon whom the wrath of God is going to come. Save yourselves. Don't continue to go destruction but call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved and the same thing is being called out to you this morning brothers and sisters friend if you are here and you don't know Christ if you have not repented and believe save yourselves call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved it's a free gift of salvation offered to whoever will receive it I have a second question though have you been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ While baptism does not save you, it is a command of Jesus. And there may be some here who you say, Pastor, I've repented of my sin, I've trusted Jesus, I believe I'm a Christian, but I've never been baptized, I've never followed in Jesus in obedience and baptism. Baptism demonstrates that you've trusted in Christ and sets you apart as a Christian. When the church baptizes you, the church is affirming that this person belongs to Christ and to his church. So if you've never done that before, I would love to talk to you about that after the service. Andrew, Keith, come and talk to one of us and we'd love to talk to you about next steps and what it would mean to be baptized. So these people, the church is made up of those who've repented of their sin, believed the gospel and been baptized. That's the people that we see gathering here in verses 42 to 47. So what did they do? Luke says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to, and then he begins to describe what the believers devoted themselves to. I want to show you five habits, five things they devoted themselves to. The first is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so they preached faithfully. The first habit is they preached faithfully. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means that they devoted themselves to the Word of God. The apostles themselves preached Christ from the Old Testament Scriptures, and then the apostles wrote the New Testament. The preaching and teaching of God's Word is central in the life of the church. Mark Dever says that expositional preaching is far and away the most important mark of a healthy church, because if you get this one right, all the others will follow. But if you don't get this one right, then all the others are going to be off track. That's why we preach from the Word of God on Sunday mornings. I don't come up here to give you my opinions. My goal is to explain what the text says and then help you to apply it to your life. You don't need advice from Pastor Jared. You need to hear from God's Word. That's what we need, that's what I need every single week as well. We preach the Bible because God has spoken. And and without God's word, we could not know God or have a relationship with God. It's God's Word that brings life. It's the Word of God that saves people. Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that sanctifies us, that makes believers more like Jesus. Jesus prayed for us in John 17 to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. So, preaching through the Scriptures is how we grow. That's why it's central to what we do. And not just Sunday mornings. We study the Scriptures in our life groups. We pray the Scriptures when we gather for Second Sunday Prayer, like we're going to do this evening. It's the role of elders or pastors to devote themselves to the preaching of the Word and prayer. That looks like expositional preaching from the Scriptures on a weekly basis. I'm convinced that nothing will make a greater impact on the life of a church than to continue to faithfully preach through God's Word on a weekly basis over time. And if you study church history, you'll discover that every great revival was accompanied by a return to the simple preaching of God's Word. It's not super complicated. You don't need a ton of resources. You don't need fancy venues. You really don't. You just need to preach the Word of God faithfully. But it's not just the pastors and the elders who devote themselves to the Scriptures, is it? It says they devoted themselves, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that word devote means to steadfastly and earnestly pursue something with a single mind. And an Olympic athlete is devoted to being the best at his or her sport, and so they, they eat and sleep and train with that singular goal, right? What are you devoted to? Some people are devoted to their careers. Some are devoted to being in peak physical condition. But Christians devote themselves to knowing Jesus in His Word and in prayer. How how do you do that practically? Let me share with you a couple of ways. First of all, when you come on Sunday mornings to gather and center to the preaching of the Word, listen intently and prepare your heart. That's one of the ways you can devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. So bring your Bible. Bring a physical copy of your Bible with you. Take notes if that helps you to study. Uh, Study the passage in advance. We're walking through the book of Acts. Next week, we're going to be in chapter 3. So this week, look at Acts chapter 3 ahead of next Sunday before Andrew preaches through that text, right? Uh, Show up early. It really does help if you're not in a rush, right? You're not rushing in at the last second to be able to calm and prepare your heart. Maybe you even start coming 15 minutes early and just sit in this room and just pray over the service. Pray for your own heart. Pray for the hearts of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are all ways that we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Also, Another way we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, I think one of the ways we honor it is that we need to apply and obey what we hear from God's Word, right? I mean, if we just come and we week by week we sit and we hear the Word of God taught and then we leave, and we, it doesn't make any impact on our lives. It's, we're being like the man in the book of James that went and looked at his reflection in the water and walked away and immediately forgot what he looked like, right? Like, what good does that do? Are you hearing sermons week in and week out and and leaving while it goes in one ear and out the other? Or are you seeking how to apply what you are hearing straight from God and from His Word to your life? Another way is study God's Word throughout the week. If we're going to be devoted to the Word of God, then we need to study it throughout the week. I'll just be honest, if you only look at God's Word on Sundays, then it's like trying to survive on one meal a week. You're going to be spiritually malnourished if that's the only time that you read God's Word. And I'll I'll tell you this from experience, I think this is true in God's Word. I think it's true anecdotally from what I've seen. Without exception, those Christians who are growing and maturing the most are those who are in their Bibles the most. So if you are frustrated with how I don't feel like I'm close to God, I don't feel like I'm hearing God's voice, I feel distant from him, then brother, sister, friend, I would just ask you, how much time are you spending in God's word? Has, have you allowed other things to slowly crowd out your time in the word? Are you cramming in 10 minutes once or twice a week and that's all you're getting? That's probably, and I'm not saying that's the only thing that's going on, but that's definitely one of the reasons that you're probably feeling distant, that you're feeling spiritually malnourished. So let me urge you to recommit. Like maybe something needs, maybe some priorities need to be moved around in your life. And if you need help with that, we'd love to help you. We'd love to connect you with somebody who could disciple you and teach you how to read God's Word. It may just be that you're frustrated because you don't know where to start or how to read. And you're not alone. You don't have to do that alone. We'd love to help you. Come and talk to us. These believers, they preached faithfully. They devoted themselves to the Word of God. But Luke also records that they loved selflessly. It's the second habit. They loved selflessly. Luke says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. He's not talking about the fellowship hall or ice cream socials. If you grew up in Southern Baptist Church, you know what I'm talking about. This is more than just getting together, okay? That word fellowship is koinonia. It means to share all things in common. As Christians, we have fellowship with God. That's an amazing statement in and of itself. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us because of our union to Him by faith. But we also share fellowship with each other. We're part of the same body. We're united in Christ. And that fellowship isn't just meant to be theoretical. It's meant to be lived out. And that's what we see taking place here in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? Verse 44, it says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. And the next verse says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this doesn't mean as some have said in the past that Christians should not own personal property The point here is that Christians love one another. When a brother or sister is in need, if we have the means to help, then we should. These believers considered one another more significant than themselves, like Philippians 2 exhorts us. The the early church father, Tertullian, recounted how the Roman government sent spies into the early church when they became suspicious of their activities And in their report, these spies noted that the Christians did not worship idols, but one by the name of Jesus. And they noted, quote, how those Christians love each other, how they have fellowship with each other. That's the thing that stood out to these Roman spies as they came and sat in on these gatherings of the the early church. That's precisely what Jesus said, isn't it? In John chapter 13, after he had washed the disciples' feet and he Instructed them and us to follow his example, and he said, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. That's what will stand out. We certainly see that standing out here in Acts chapter 2. Let me ask, could that be said of you? If a Roman spy followed you around for a week, would he be amazed at how you serve others in the church? Would it be obvious that you are a follower of Jesus by the way that you wash the feet of others, by the way that you serve others? The motivation for this selfless love is because this is how Jesus loves us. That's why we do this. 1 John 3, 16 to 18, listen to what John says. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother's. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Church, let's not give mere lip service to love. Let's be like the church in Colossae who was known for their faith in God and their love for all the saints. They had a reputation. Let's Pillar San Antonio, let's have a reputation throughout San Antonio for our love for one another. That starts by making your default be yes when someone in the church needs help. If there are opportunities to serve others, take them. We can also love by giving generously. It was clear that these believers loved one another even more than their possessions because they were willing to, for, to give of their possessions to help one another. When we give sacrificially of our time and our treasure to love each other, we will be a much needed light in this city. The third habit of this healthy church is that they gathered regularly. They gathered regularly. Luke Luke writes that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And that is likely a reference to the Lord's Supper. But in the early church, when they took the Lord's Supper, it was... Most scholars believe it was also part of a much larger fellowship meal, like a potluck, right, that they would have, where they also uh, observed the Lord's Supper during this meeting. And so they when they de- it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, it means that they devoted themselves to gathering regularly for corporate worship. But it wasn't just formal corporate worship that they were gathering for, was it? He goes on to say in verse 46, "...day by day, attending the temple together and breaking their bread... In their homes, they received their flu- food with glad and generous hearts. So they were gathering formally for corporate worship like this, but they loved being around each other so much, that they spent time together all throughout the week. They didn't just gather because they had to. That's In the army, we called it mandatory fun days, right? Remember that, mandatory fun days? This was not mandatory fun days. They really wanted to be with each other. It's hard not to see a contrast between Acts chapter 2 and the attitude that many Christians have towards gathering with the church today, isn't it? Uh, I just saw a recent stat that said in a survey, it said that most pastors consider a regular attender to be someone who attends worship twice a month. Now, You'd be hard-pressed to describe that as devoted to gathering. What's the difference? What's the difference between... What was going on with these people in today? I, I suppose you could say, well, we're a lot busier today. We got full calendars, maybe. But these people presumably had lives before their conversion. Remember, they had recently been converted. They were doing something with all that time beforehand. I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something. But then something changed in them, and so something changed about their habits. And about their outer lives. And all of a sudden, they stopped doing whatever it was that they were doing all the time before. And they started gathering all the time. And they just always wanted to be around each other. They couldn't get enough of it. What was it? What brought about this change? And, you know, I thought a lot about this question this week. And the only answer I could come up with is this. I think it's because they all, as a whole, they became enamored with Jesus Christ. They wanted to learn about Him from the Word. They wanted to talk to Him in prayer. They wanted to sing to Him with other believers. They wanted to be around other people who loved Jesus as much as they did. Because Jesus was the most important person, the most important thing in their lives. And so everything else was secondary to an opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, how I am praying that God will do that work in our hearts today. You can't keep a lover of Jesus away from Jesus' people. Going to church certainly does not make you a godly person in and of itself. I've met plenty of people who go to church all the time who are not godly. But I've never met a godly person who doesn't gather with the church all the time. A love for being around God's people is a distinguishing mark of a healthy church and of a healthy Christian. At Pillar San Antonio, we, we gather weekly on Sunday mornings, as most churches do, and we also gather weekly in life groups, in homes. Just like in Acts chapter 2, we gather in homes to, to eat together, to pray together, to study God's Word together, to praise God, and just to be around other people who love Jesus. Brother or sister, if, if you haven't been prioritizing that, I just want to beseech you. I want to plead with you. Start prioritizing gathering with the saints on a weekly basis. It will help stoke your love for Jesus, and it will encourage all of the other believers in your life around you. I know that there's busy schedules. I know we have a lot going on. But I would encourage you to examine where is your time going and find a way to prioritize that in your life. And it's not just the formal gatherings, though. I would also encourage you all to find ways to gather with each other informally throughout the week. Meet up together and pray together. Read the Bible together. Have one another into each other's homes. Cook a meal for another member of the church and invite them over for dinner. Spend time with each other on a regular basis, spurring one another on. Ask yourself, are there things in your life that you've allowed to take priority over gathering with the local church? And if so, ask Jesus to rekindle in your heart a love for Him and for His people. The fourth habit that we see in this church is that they prayed fervently. Luke says that they devoted themselves to the prayers. And the definite article, the, in front of prayers there, indicates that Luke is talking about corporate prayer here, when the church was gathered together and praying together. While private prayer is essential... Throughout Acts, prayer is almost always mentioned as something that the church did together. You know, it's common for us as believers today to bemoan the state of the world. I do it. We see the wickedness all around us. We're dismayed at the shrinking witness of the church. And yet it's striking to me how little we pray. You'd think that if we were truly this troubled over the state of things, you wouldn't be able to keep us out of prayer meetings, right? Make no mistake, God can do whatever he wants. God doesn't need us, right? He doesn't need our prayers, but God in his sovereignty typically limits his activity to the prayers of his people. I don't understand completely why that is. But God has invited us to participate in his work in the world. And God has said in his word that he moves in response to the prayers of his people. He stirs our heart up to pray. And then we call out to him in prayer. And he responds so that we learn that we can do nothing apart from him. And oh, how I am praying that the Lord will begin to stir our hearts to pray like never before. Because, guys, I'll just be honest. I don't think we really know what it's like to get desperate in prayer. I don't think we've really gotten to that point yet. Just, there's so many amazing promises about prayer in the Bible, but just listen to this one from Jesus in John 16, 22 to 24. This, this blew me away as I read it this week. Jesus is uh, he's a, he's about to go to the cross. This is like the night before he's going to the cross, and he's encouraging the disciples. And here's what he says. He says, so also you have sorrow now. What's the sorrow? Because Jesus said, I'm about to go away. He's going to be crucified but I will see you again. Resurrection, right? They're going to see him again three days later. And then he says, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this. And And he puts a truly, truly on front of it just to make sure this is a, you can take this promise to the bank. It's as sure as sure can be. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Does that not make your jaw hit the floor? Let me read it again in case we didn't hear that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. And then listen to this part. This just blows me away. Ask and you will receive. Why? So that your joy may be full. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to die for your sin. Because right now you are separated from the Father. But I love you so much, I'm going to go and I'm going to pay your debt so that you can be united to Him, so that you can come directly into the presence of the Father and you can ask Him face to face in my name for whatever it is that you need and then He's going to give it to you so that your joy can be full. What? Praise God. Is that not amazing? Why would we not take Jesus up on this incredible promise, on this incredible offer? I'll be honest, I was convicted as I read this that I'm not on my face and on my knees all the time with such a promise as this. James says, you have not because you ask not. God wants to knock our socks off with answered prayer. He wants to do it and He will do it if we will devote ourselves to prayer. He will do a new thing. And the book of Acts won't just be a story that we heard about from long, long ago, 2,000 years ago, but we can discover that the same Jesus Christ, He has not changed. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And the same Spirit that indwelt this church dwells in us. And God wants to work and to move in this place. He wants to work and to move, but we've got to get desperate in prayer. And that's a challenge because let's be honest. We can gather a bunch of people together for a worship service without prayer, can't we? We've got strategies and marketing for that, right? We can even get people to raise their hand and pray a prayer and go be baptized without prayer. We've got really eloquent speakers and really moving music to do that. But you know what we can't do without prayer? We cannot change the heart of one person. We cannot see uh, an entire uh, community transformed by the gospel. But if we will get desperate, if we will come together and we will cry out to God and we will plead with him to move and to act, he will act. He wants our joy to be full. He wants to bless us. Let's grasp hold of this promise. Once a month, we have what's called Second Sunday Prayer. That's tonight. We meet from 5 to 7 p.m. We pray for an hour together and then we have a potluck meal. Please come please come, please come. I want to see people come to Christ in this community. I don't want to play church anymore. I don't know about y'all. I don't want to play church. I want to see God move in your hearts and in this community, but we've got to come together and pray. And brothers and sisters, we're going to have to persevere. We're going to have to persevere. I can try to motivate us this morning. I can try to plead with us this morning, but month in and month out, we're going to have to do it. And I don't know what it's going to look like long term. Uh, and, and we'll see what the Spirit, how the Spirit leads in the days ahead. But I'm convinced we need to be gathering more than once a month for prayer. And I'll be, I don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe that's going to look like a, in the morning on a weekday or something. I don't know. We can maybe talk about it tonight. Maybe if the Lord's putting something on your heart, come and let us know afterwards. I, uh, I don't know how the Lord's going to lead. But I'm convinced that God wants to lead us into a, a new season. A season where we seek His face in prayer. And one of the things, like, I've, I, I just finished reading through the, the whole book of Acts in preparation for this and, uh, series, and, and I'm reading through it again now. I, these people prayed, like, all the time. <laughs> they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, and they prayed. And they saw God do incredible things, right? It's a theme that's kind of come up, and so I'm going to keep talking about it because the Bible keeps talking about it. And I'm going to keep urging us towards it. I could keep going on this, but I'm going to move on for the sake of getting to the rest of uh, what we see here in this passage. I hope that you'll join us tonight. The The fifth habit, and this is really an overflow of the first four, okay? Number five is that they witness boldly. When a church is preaching faithfully, loving selflessly, gathering regularly, and praying fervently, then they will witness boldly. It'll just kind of be a natural overflow. When people are not excited about Jesus and you're trying to convince them to go share the gospel and guilt them into sharing the gospel, it's just probably not going to happen. But when people are excited about Jesus and they're watching God work in their lives and we're watching God work in each other's lives, you can't shut people like that up. And we're going to see that over the next couple of chapters, chapter three, four, five. They're going to start talking about Jesus, and the Sanhedrin is going to try everything they can to shut this early church up. And they can't do it. The gospel just keeps spreading. And whenever they're threatened, they just pray. <laughs> and they ask God not, God, help help protect us. Don't let us go to jail. They just pray for more boldness. Lord, help us not to stay silent. They witnessed boldly. Now, it's not explicit here in this passage, but it's implied that these believers were sharing the gospel because in verse 47... It says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The late pastor John Stott said that just as their worship was daily, so was their witness. They couldn't help but talk about Jesus. I say it all the time, but we are surrounded by people who have never heard the gospel. Gone are the days of Texas being churched. That is outdated information. It's just not true anymore. You can look at the statistics, and all you need to do is go out into the community and start talking to people. Try to have gospel conversations, and you will discover that most people haven't got a clue what the gospel actually is. They've heard the name of Jesus before. They probably know something about Jesus dying on a cross, but they have no idea why. They don't understand why it's relevant for their life. Most people think that you have to be a good person, and if you're good enough, that God will let you into heaven. It's a false gospel, it's not true. And they need the good news of, of Jesus Christ. They need somebody to share the good news with them. Just this week, um, John and I, one of our other pastors, went out to the Heritage Duck Pond, walked up to three young men who were in their 20s, finished playing basketball, got to share the gospel with them. They had never heard anybody explain the gospel to them before. And they were like locked in, asking us follow-up questions and like had, had you know just curious. And we had an incredible conversation with these young men. And they even thanked us. They were like, thank you. Nobody's ever shared this with us before. I mean and two of them grew up in a catholic church. And there's people like that all over the place, all around us. Now for the church to witness boldly, each member needs to live on mission where they are, right? So I'll just ask you, when was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone? It's probably a hard question. There have been plenty of times in my life where that question stings. I and I don't mean I don't mean told someone that you go to church. That's great. I don't mean told somebody you're praying for them. That's great too. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. I mean explain to them that they're a sinner, that Christ died and rose for them, and then invited them to turn from sin and trust in Jesus for salvation. That's what people need to hear to be saved. Here's, think about this. If every single member of this church, right now we have 36 adult members in this church, and we're going to add a few more in a couple of weeks when we have our next members meeting. If every adult member, just the adult members in this church, shared the gospel with just one person a week, then that means that 36 new people would hear the gospel every week. 144 a month, 1,728 people would hear the gospel every year. Just once a week, that's it. 1,728 people would hear the gospel. Something tells me we would have to start using our baptism tank more often if each of us just shared the gospel just one time a week, right? A healthy church is a church that witnesses boldly. That's why we have this visual aid behind me. Maybe some of you haven't seen this yet, but this jug, I don't know, a water jug, and what we're doing is we're putting ping pong balls in that jug every time one of us shares the gospel with somebody. So if you shared the gospel with somebody this week, after the service, come and put a ping pong ball in there. And our goal is we want to fill that up. And when we filled another one up, when we filled that one up, we want to fill another one up. Because each one is another seed that's been sown out in the hearts of people in our community that need to know about Christ. And as some people repent and believe, then we'll put an orange ping pong ball in there. As I said last week, we can't change the heart of any person. Only God can make a white ping pong ball orange, okay? Only he can do that. But what we can do is we can be faithful to share the gospel. So let me encourage you and challenge you. Find one person this week to share Jesus with and be ready to come back here and to put a ping pong ball in there next week. I would love it if we ran out of those white ones and we had to go to the store to go buy more. How incredible would that be? The church in Acts chapter 2 preached faithfully, loved selflessly, gathered regularly, prayed fervently, and evangelized boldly. What was the result? They got to witness God work powerfully. They had glad and generous hearts. They had favor with all the people in the community. Brothers and sisters, you can have a church like this anywhere. You don't need a lot of money or programs, or fancy buildings. In fact, sometimes those things can even be a distraction or detrimental. You just need spirit-filled Christians who are enamored with and desperate for Jesus. So, Pillar San Antonio, let's embrace the five healthy habits of a healthy church. Let's pursue God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's Call out to Him in prayer. Devote ourselves to prayer. Devote ourselves to the Word. Let's gather together this evening and call upon the Lord together. Ask Him for boldness for us. Ask Him to begin moving ahead of us in this community right now, preparing the hearts of non-believers to receive the gospel.